This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Somebody asked me this morning after the service, how was it that Jesus went three years in his ministry and then tells us the, gives us the account in Mark chapter 11, which is, in my opinion, the most concise description of how faith works? How is it that Jesus could have upbraided his disciples during those three years for a lack of faith? Well, we're the only ones that think that faith comes as a, as a matter of, of uh, uh, a ritual or a formula. Jesus taught faith by just telling them simple things. He said, if you have faith, you'll say. See, what you're saying is your faith in, at work. What you're saying is your faith revealed, whether you've ever heard a lesson on faith or not. Jesus said about faith, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say, because faith always speaks. That's why you can tell where somebody is by the words that come out of their mouth. Whatever they say, whether they've ever heard anything about faith or not, whatever they say is what they believe, because faith always comes out of your mouth, eventually. So these disciples should have known by putting together the, the few things that Jesus has told them along the way. So that Peter's question, implied question at least, when he says to Jesus about the fig tree, look, the fig tree you cursed yesterday has withered away. There should have been no question in his mind whatsoever. They should have heard Jesus speak to the fig tree and had enough experience with him to say, well, that fig tree's a goner. No hope for that thing. Because what Jesus says comes to pass. Jesus' words always come to pass. Well, same thing with this woman. She didn't have any lessons on faith. But she heard of Jesus and it gave her hope, so she spoke. She spoke according to the faith that, had, that what she heard of Jesus brought and planted in her heart. And then she acted on it. Jesus, immediately knowing that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Master, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? But he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. The disciples, in other words, answered, Everybody that can touch you is touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? Who didn't? But Jesus knew somebody touched him differently. With a different motive and got a different result. Now, it's also interesting to realize that she's the only one in this story that had faith to reach out and touch Jesus. And so she's the only one that got a supernatural result. A miraculous result. It's also interesting to me that everybody else is doing the same action, taking the same step that she took about touching him, but nobody else is getting anything. So it wasn't just the physical touch. It was physical touch mixed with faith. Jesus looked around about to see her that had done this thing, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, now she's not believing anything, she knows something. Knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And notice what Jesus said to her in verse 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, folks, I would submit to you that it was the power of God that made her whole. Why does Jesus credit her faith? Because it was her faith that activated the power that was available for anybody and everybody there that was touching him. But she's the only one that would have any record heard of Jesus. Now, we know that they, other people have heard 
from the standpoint of they've listened to reports, but they didn't really hear it. It was just information to them. It wasn't something that took root in their hearts like it did with her. But once it took root in her, it changed her outlook on life, and it changed what she said. And she got a miraculous result. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 14. Oh, if people would just hear. Matthew chapter 14. Beginning in verse 34, it said, And when they were gone over, they came unto the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him. Notice that. When the men of that place had knowledge of them. Well, what does that mean? It means they heard. It means they heard. Remember our text scriptures? They came to hear and be healed. When the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. They put out the word that every sick person needs to get to a certain place where Jesus is. And they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. What does that tell us? It tells us they came in faith. They came in faith. I can just see the men of that country. Now, I'm not sure what spurred it on. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I think these men have a special reward in heaven waiting for them. Or waiting for them when they got there. Because they went and spread the word. This Jesus guy that's healing the sick is in our country. It's in the region of our towns. You need to send all the sick people of this town to where he is. Now, if they said, we don't know if anything's going to happen or not. You know, he's one of those healing evangelists. But some people get stuff and some people don't. Because you never know what God's going to do. I doubt if they'd had much of a crowd. But they must have been inspiring people's faith based on the knowledge that they had of Jesus and what they had heard about him. This guy's the real deal. He heals the sick no matter what the condition is. He heals lepers, which is the big sickness of the day. He heals cripples. He opens blind eyes. Send everybody no matter what's wrong with them. What a crowd that must have been. What did Jesus do? Do you say, well, now, this is not the way I normally operate. This is too many people. I tell you what, half of you stay today and we'll lay hands on you, and tomorrow the rest of you come back. And it says they just besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. All he had to do was walk in the midst of them. They reached out and touched him. As many as touched were made whole. Now, did that just work in Jesus' ministry? Turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 tells us about Paul and Barnabas in the region of Galatia. And the Jews stirred up some trouble so that they left one place, Iconium. And they went to another couple of towns in the the cities of Lyconia. Notice it begins to tell us in verse 7, Acts chapter 14, verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. He's talking about Lystra and Derbe. And then it tells us about something that happened in the city of Lystra. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. 
Now, how hopeful would this guy be to ever be able to walk? He's in a hopeless condition too, isn't he? He was crippled from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak. Now, the only thing that we know that Paul spoke is identified in verse 7 where it says, there they preached the gospel. But we know that faith is produced in this man's heart to be healed, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Paul's gospel had to include healing. I wish the church would get a hold of that. There they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him, the crippled man, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Perceiving that he had faith to be healed. One service. One declaration. One sermon. About Jesus taking the taking our sins and our sicknesses upon himself. Paying the price for it. Setting us free. Brought this man faith to be healed. Paul said to him with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Folks, the point I want to get across to you is it still works today. Hear and be healed still works today. Hear and be healed still works today. Now turn with me finally over to James chapter 5. Verse 14, James is writing to the church. He's writing to Christians that are scattered abroad because of the persecution that arose in Jerusalem or against the Jews in Jerusalem. So he writes to them and says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here. He gives specific instructions for the sick to be healed at church. It's the only instruction that the New Testament gives for how healing should operate in the local church. Now we know he's talking about the local church. Because he tells them to call for the elders of the church. He doesn't say call for any minister. Elders would correspond to the pastoral staff of a local church. Every time the word elders is used in the scripture. Is in reference most often. To Paul's ministry where he'd go to a town. Stay for a certain period of time. Establish a church. Usually through signs and wonders. And then leave certain elders in charge of that local congregation. Since nobody was saved any much or uh, if any longer than anybody else, he usually picked just older people with more life experience to take care of the church until God raised up a pastor. But the elders represent those that would do the work of the pastoral staff in a local church. So he says, is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Notice he doesn't write to the pastors to have healing lines or healing services or healing ministries. He leaves the responsibility up to the sick. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, 
you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, P.C. Nelson said something to a group of ministers, younger ministers that Brother Hagen was a part of many, many years ago that, uh, that I found interesting. And studying it out, I found that to, to be true. P.C. Nelson was one of the, if not the foremost minister or authority, I should say, of the Greek language during the time that he was alive. And he said in the Greek that this was originally written, where it says, is any sick among you? It carries the idea communicates the idea that he's talking to people that were beyond doing anything to help themselves. The implication, he said, was that we should reach out to God on our own to receive from him with our own faith whenever possible. But there are times where we need help. And that's who James is writing to. We should be able to take care of some things by ourselves. But there are other things that we face that are too big for us to handle on our own. And it helps to have other people stand with us. That's what he's referring to. Again, the responsibility is the sick to be prayed for, not the pastors to make sure everybody is prayed for. So he says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. And let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing with all in the, in the name of the Lord. And the, the word pray, there are two words that are used that refer to pray or prayer. In verse 14, it talks about let them pray over him. Verse, six, verse 15 says, in the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Those are two different words. The word used in verse 14 means oratory worship. And so literally, there's only two possible meanings for what he's talking about. One is prayer. I'm sorry, one is praise. And the other is worship. Or maybe he's talking about a combination of both. But that's the only possibility. For this word that he uses, that's the only possibility. Now, prayer and praise, I'm sorry, praise and worship are a little bit different as defined in Scripture. Praise is thanking God for something that he's done. Worship is responding to God because of who he is. Now, remember, he's talking in a specific sense concerning the sick. So what would we praise God for doing in relation to the sick? Well, Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. So when he says, let them, the elders, pray over the sick, he's talking about thanking God or praising God because of what Jesus has already done. The second possibility is worship. Now, what would the sick worship God for being? Our healer. Now, that presupposes something that's very important, and that is that the Christian who is sick that needs help from the church has heard of Jesus. He's heard of the work of Jesus on the cross to effect a healing and a cure for them from whatever sickness or disease afflicts them. I think the best way to go about it to fulfill the definition of this word prayer is both praise and worship. Thank God that Jesus has taken our infirmities and borne our sicknesses and worship him because he's our healer. Now the rest of it is, is Jewish custom. 
The rest of verse 14 is Jewish custom. He said, let them pray over them. We've already talked about what that means. Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, the anointing with oil is just an Old Testament type of the Spirit of God being transferred to someone. But there's no mention given whatsoever to the Gentiles to anoint with oil. None whatsoever. Now, why would they need the anointing with oil? Well, in Jewish history, as I said, it denoted and therefore had some kind of meaning to the Jews that it was a sign of the Spirit of God coming upon them. But does the Spirit of God have to have the anointing with oil to come on somebody? Were you anointed with oil when you were baptized in the Holy Ghost? Well, he came on you, didn't he? See, the Gentiles don't have that custom. And notice it's not the anointing with oil that saves or heals the sick. It's the prayer of faith that heals the sick. So the anointing with oil is just custom. Now, some people bless their hearts. They get upset if you don't anoint them with oil. So I try to avoid the problem. If they ask specifically for it, then I'll anoint them with oil. But if somebody doesn't specifically ask for it, I don't bother with it. And I'll explain why as we go. Notice verse 15. It says, in the prayer of faith. Now, this word prayer is a different word that's used from before in verse 14. This word prayer means vow or declaration. So it literally, nowhere in this is there a request. Nowhere in this is there a begging God to do something. Which most people think they're doing when they're asking for prayer, for healing for their bodies. They want somebody to beg God on their behalf. But that's not what the word prayer means. It means a vow or declaration. Now a declaration is just saying this is the way that it is. It's a statement of fact or a statement of purpose. A vow is something you commit yourself to. For example, if I vow to serve God all the days of my life, I haven't asked him to do anything. I don't place, vows really don't have conditions. True vows don't have conditions. It's not a matter of making a deal with God. God, if you'll deliver me from this situation, then I'll serve you all my life. That's not a real vow. A real vow is a commitment that you make no matter what based on your own determined will. It's a declaration of purpose. So here where it says in the vow of faith, literally the vow of faith, the vow or declaration of faith shall save or heal the sick. This word save, by the way, means to restore. It means to be made whole. So it's talking about healing. The vow or declaration of faith shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. Now there's some things that the Lord has really been dealing with me about these verses of scripture here lately. And so I want to try to explain something to you. See if I can get this out right. As much as I'm able to determine, I'm anointed in three areas. First of all, I'm anointed to pastor the church. Now what that means is I have responsibility to lead the church, to shepherd the church, to lead it. Now, another thing that I'm anointed to do is to teach. Now, that's not geographical. That's not temporary. It's not something that's relative to just one place or one location. That works wherever I go. If I go overseas, I'm still anointed to teach. If I go somewhere else in the States and teach in another church, I'm anointed to teach just as much there as I am here. So that's a different anointing. It's not an anointing that's, that's, um, that you can be relieved of. It's something that's always there and always available. 
But the third thing that the Lord has really been dealing with me about is right here in these verses. Let's read verse 14 and 15 again. Is any sick among you? Now, the you that he's talking about are the 12 tribes that are scattered throughout all quarters of the earth because of the persecution. He identifies that in the first chapter to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We know it was the persecution that scattered them. Now, James, who is the pastor of the church, is writing to people that used to be part of his church that are now scattered to other places. So do you expect that he would expect for these people to find churches in the places that they've scattered to and be part of local congregations there? Well, obviously, he thinks so, expects so, because he, he says of them, as if there's any sick among them, let them call for the elders of the church. If there's no church, there's no elder to call on. So he expects them to be part of a local congregation. Now, with that in mind, how does he know that the pastor of that local congregation has a healing anointing? How would he know? See, he's giving the same instruction to the Jews that are scattered into Greece as he is Jews that are scattered into Rome. And how could he give the instruction to call for the elders of the church, no matter what church they're part of or where they're a part of whatever church they're in, in, except every pastor was equipped by God to heal the sick in his own church? That's the only possible explanation. This is something I've come to realize here of late that I never really knew before. The only thing I knew about anointings to heal was like what Brother Hagin would describe when the Lord appeared to him in a vision in 1950 in Rockwall, Texas. He laid the finger of his right hand in the palms of each one of Brother Hagin's hands and told him that he was giving him a healing anointing. Well, that's the only way that I thought anybody could be anointed. It's the only thing I had experience with. And even Brother Hagin would say that the Lord told him to tell people that I appeared to you. Tell them that I put the finger of my right hand in the palm of each one of your hands. Tell them that your hands began to burn like a coal of fire. Tell them that if they'll believe that, believe that I appeared to you, believe that you're anointed, that that anointing would drive out sickness from their bodies, no matter what it was. Well, some people would hear it and some people would receive and other people wouldn't. Some people would say, oh, I don't believe that. So it wouldn't work for them. There'd be people that would come up in the healing line and you could tell. There'd be some people standing there with kind of a silly grin on their face just waiting to see what Brother Hagin was going to do. Sometimes he'd pass right over them. There'd be times where he'd have his eyes closed, wouldn't be paying attention to anybody in the line, pass right over people that were there just to see what was going to happen. Well, that makes sense. Why would God waste the anointing on somebody that wouldn't receive it? But as I said, that's the only healing anointing that I knew anything about. I'd read after other people and seen how God used them and so forth. But as I said, that was primarily the, the only thing, or pretty much the only thing that I knew about a healing anointing. But if these scriptures hold true in every church in every situation, then every pastor has to be equipped to heal the sick. It has to happen. Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, the sick, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer, the vow, the declaration of faith shall save the sick or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Notice the responsibility is still on the sick, not the elders. 
It's up to the sick to call for the elders, call for help. But that also presupposes that whenever a sick person calls, the anointing is there and will operate to affect a healing and a cure in the body of the sick. So I've come to realize that I'm anointed in three things. To pastor, to teach, and to heal the sick in this church. It has to be so. Now the Bible gives me specific instruction for how that works. It doesn't say Jesus has to appear to me. It says that if we, me and whoever calls on me to heal, uh, to lay hands on them, to minister to them for healing. If we worship God because he's our healer and thank God because Jesus has done the work and make our vow and declaration of faith, then healing will come. But that can't be a part-time thing. It has to always be available for the sick to be able to call any time in any place. Can you see that? I think that's something we need to develop our faith in. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Lord is dealing with me about this. Because I've started trying to build my faith in this area. I've always said that I don't have a special anointing. I wish I did. I wish Jesus had appeared to me like he did to Brother Hagin and laid his finger in my hands just like he did his. But if I said that happened, I'd be lying. And so I've always said I don't have a special anointing. Well, I don't have a special anointing in that respect. But I do have a special anointing in James 5 respect. Because he's the one that called me and set me here as the pastor of the church. But again, I'll make the same statement I did before. It presupposes that somebody has heard of Jesus. Hear and be healed. Hear and be healed. Now, folks, James is inspired by the Holy Ghost as a pastor, pastor of the church of Jerusalem, who if anybody's going to know how this stuff works, it's going to be him. He's the pastor of the mother church. Sounds kind of like the mothership, but that's not what I'm trying to say. Where the church originated in Jerusalem. He is the pastor, the one that God raised up after an interim period where Peter was in charge. God has raised him up to take over the pastoring the shepherding of these people that are there. And now God anoints him and inspires him to write a letter that covers churches everywhere. And he says, is any sick among you? Let them, the sick, call for the elders of the church. And let them, the elders, worship God, praise him for what Jesus has done, and worship God because he's our healer. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's ritual. That has very little to do with anything. And the prayer of faith, the vow, the declaration of faith, who Jesus is and who we receive him to be in our own lives, shall heal the sick. Shall heal the sick. Not might, shall heal the sick. Now, folks, that's what God said would happen. All we have to do is put him to the test and believe. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. The Bible says that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed. Healing is already yours. Take hold of it by faith in the name of Jesus today. Thanks for watching. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Literally, he's saying every child of God
Every person that's born again, every person that's made Jesus the Lord of their life and has therefore come into the family of God has a right to be led by the Spirit of God. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.